welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. here and if you're new with us today like Michelle said um, we're so happy you're here and that yellow connect card is for you if you didn't get a chance to put it in the bag you can hand it to somebody connect connections corners right out there yeah you can hand it out there uh, later so um, I want to start off by uh, talking about what happened in our city this week uh, because it was shocking right um, uh, as I'm assuming everybody knows about the Toronto van attack that happened in North York. And uh, today, uh, appropriately, I guess, we're talking about loving your enemies. And the passage that, that I'll be preaching on is, is Jesus saying, love your enemies. And when something like that happens, and we, then we see a passage like this in the scriptures, we're like, how do we do that? How... How can we love someone who did something so heinous like that? And, and so Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we're going to start off by praying for the families, but also for Alec Manassian, who was, who was the guy who did this. And my first thought when I saw this was, what happened in this guy's life? to get him to this point. And we don't know, he's 25 years old, we don't know what happened to get, to get him to this point, but if you saw the video, he wanted to be killed, and he's shouting at the officer to shoot him and to kill him. And amazingly, I talked to some police officers this week, and even the cops I talked to were shocked that their colleague didn't didn't pull the trigger on this guy. Um, what restraint, what, what control that he must have had in order to, to, not, to not have violence beget violence. And that's what normally happens, right? Um, we have one violent act, and that causes another, another act of violence to happen. But this, this officer valued that the Alec Manassian's life, even though he just took a bunch of lives. So uh, we want to pray for all these parties uh, this morning before, before we get started. But um, if you guys need any, I don't know, if you want to talk about this, like we're here for you guys. Um, someone in our church was actually on the streets giving CPR to some of the victims. So, and then we have a few families, a few individuals who live in that corridor. Uh, so uh, yeah, if you guys, if you guys want to talk about any of this, um, I'm available. Our prayer team's available after after the service. But let's just start off by praying over this situation. God, um, you know, when I first prayed about this whole thing, I didn't even know what to say. Um, Father, uh, we we just want to start off by saying we trust you. We know that you're a good God. We know that. Uh, that you love us, and 
Uh, like I said, I don't know what happened in, in Alex's life to get him to this point. But as he's in custody right now, sitting there with all the time in the world thinking about things, Father, I pray that uh, you would reach down to him and you would reveal yourself to him and that he would know your love and your grace and your mercy in this moment. And for some of us in this room, it's probably hard for us to join in in that prayer. And even as I say those words, in my mind, I'm like, do I actually want that? Um, because of what he did and, and ruining so many lives and, and so many families. But Father, um, this is what you've called us to. You've called us to show love in a way that is is totally different from the way the world shows love. So in this moment, we choose to say yes to your grace. We choose to say yes to your mercy for everybody. We don't get to pick and choose who, who receives it and who doesn't. So we pray for mercy and grace for him, that he would know your love. And we pray for the same for these families that were affected by this tragedy. Um, I can't imagine even today, almost a week later, them waking up, remembering my daughter's gone, my mother's gone, my son is gone, uh, my, my father uh, isn't here anymore, my cousin, whatever it is, Father. Um, and, and in this very moment, um, I pray that they would feel your presence, that as we prayed for your presence, uh, that uh, for, for us here, that they would feel that right now wherever they are that they would also know your love and your grace and your mercy, that you would also show them who you are and reveal yourself to them, and that through all this, you would be glorified. Only you can turn a situation like this around. And so we pray for that. And we know that uh, your goodness is above all of this. And so we ask your goodness to reign in this situation, your peace to reign in their hearts. Be with us now as we go to your word and teach us how to love our enemies. Teach us how to pray for our enemies. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Here's the thing, guys. This was obviously something evil. This was obviously something that uh, the enemy is saying yes to. The enemy is like, he's proud of what happened in Toronto on Monday at 1.25 p.m. And... And, and Jesus says, though, in the Gospel of Matthew, he says that the church is the, the hope of the world. We are the rock. Uh, we are the ones who are giving light and truth to the world. And he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Isn't that amazing? And guess what, guys? Gates... I learned this from Eddie Leo, uh, a guy, that, uh, a pastor in Jakarta. He's like, gates don't move. We're over here cowering in the corner like the gates are, are advancing on us, but gates don't move. We're the ones who advance. And so this is an opportunity for us in our city, being the light, being a city on a hill, to say, we're going to show our city the hope of the world. We're going to show them God's goodness. We're going to say yes to God's mercy. We're going to say yes to God's love. And, and so as you pray about this situation, remember all that. Remember that we're actually on the offensive, not the defensive. And that we, are, we should be, as a church, as individuals, intentionally 
uh, consistently taking back ground that the enemy has thought was his. And on Monday, it looks like the enemy won something. But as the church, we have to say no to that. Like, we're in a war. That should remind us we're in a battle for people's lives and people's souls. And, and if we had done our job, if we were doing what we're supposed to be doing, that, that what we have the privilege and responsibility to do, would something like this have happened? God can change people's hearts, guys. And so we need to continue to step out in faith in order to hopefully um, prevent stuff like this from happening. As I was talking to those cops, um, they're like, you know, we can do everything we can do. We can do, because I don't know if you guys know, Toronto's one of the safest metropolitan areas in the world. In the world. Like, you have people at midnight walking on the street in downtown with headphones in. That would never happen where I grew up. <laughs> I was, when I first moved to Toronto, I saw, I was like, what? Like, anyone can sneak up behind this person. Um, and we just, we live in a very safe city. And, and, they, and these cops are saying, we can do everything right, but we still can't prevent stuff like this sometimes. And we, they can, they can't prevent everything. But that's because they can't change hearts. Only God can do that. And that's our duty and our responsibility and our privilege to get that message out and get the gospel out to our city. So, um, yeah, again, if you guys want to talk further about it, we're here. If you want, to, if you want prayer over this, please, please come forward after the service. Um, I want to point something out. These bowls, we have new bowls for communion. Pre they're pretty cool, right? Like, just aesthetically, they're pretty cool. They smell good. Um, guess where they're from? Any guesses? Not Ikea. Yes, they're from the Holy Land. These are from Palestine. They're from the West Bank. Um, they're made of olive wood trees, and like they got them from the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm just kidding. They didn't do that. <laughs> At least that's what the guy, the guy told us that, though. No, I'm just kidding. No. He's like, these are bulls. Jesus made these bulls. No. If you've been to the Holy Land, it's full of things like that. They're, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, they're, they're actually olive wood trees in Palestine, and they're made from those. Pretty cool. One, one piece of wood crafted out here. So, as you take communion later, um, I don't know if it'll be any more holy or anything, but, but uh, it's just pretty cool, right? So, I wanted to, wanted to point that out. All right, so we're in our mountain series. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount We've been, Jesus has been building kingdom character in us. He's been showing us what it means to be a kingdom citizen. He's been showing us what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he's been crafting something in us, building something in us as his followers. And in order to show the world that there's a difference between someone who follows Jesus and someone who doesn't. And, and the main difference is Jesus, right? The main, the main difference is anything you, it's not anything you do. That's what he's, that's what he's battling against. The Pharisees are like, uh, the Pharisees in that day were the religious right, and they were saying, if, if we do this, then, then we're going to get closer to God, and we're better than you, then, then we're more religious, we're more pious, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus is saying, you can't do anything that does that. You have to come through me. And, and now he's building this character in us and showing us what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to, to follow him. And so last week we talked about Eye for an eye, this passage, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This week we're talking about uh, loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. So <clears throat> uh, every, 
every superhero has like a fatal flaw, right? Um, Superman, it's kryptonite. Spider-Man, until they made the new movies, he would always run out of like web shooting stuff. Uh, he'd be like flying through the air and then just run out. Um, Batman, I guess when he runs out of money, <laughs> he, he can't use his cool things. Well, I also have a fatal flaw. Not that I'm a superhero, but um, it's my vision. I have really, really bad vision. So, like, how, who was I talking? Was it Ned? Ned's not in here. I was talking to Ned earlier. He's wearing glasses, and he hardly ever wears glasses, he was saying. And he asked if I have glasses. And I was like, yeah, but you don't want to see me in them because they're, like, this thick. So my vision is just, is just horrible. Like, I have contacts, and I wear contacts all the time. And, uh, but without my contacts, like, if I was preaching without my contacts right now, all of you guys would be a blob. Like, Missy's sitting right in front of me, and I wouldn't be able to tell that that was Missy. It would just be all blurry. Um, I can't read something unless it's right in front of my face. Uh, it's, it's really bad. So when I was growing up, uh, I was in middle school, and I, I lived in the southwest U.S. at this time. And I, was, I went with a group of friends to Six Flags, in Texas. Six Flags is, in a, is an amusement park, right? It's like Canada's Wonderland. Um, and so we're in, six, we're in Six Flags, and we get there. We're so excited. Like I said, I'm like sixth or seventh grade, something like that, or maybe eighth grade. And we're so excited. We're, it's, it, in Texas in the summer, too, it's hot, like really, really hot, hot and humid. So the first ride that we see is this water ride. And it's one of those water rides that's, that's like the, the log ride. And then afterwards, you go and you stand on this bridge. And when the thing comes down, it sprays the entire bridge. You guys know what I'm talking about? So we go down this ride. It's, it's awesome. It's fun. And because it's so hot, we're like, let's get soaked, because then we'll be cool the rest of the day, right? So we, we go. We stand on this bridge. We're waiting. We're, we're behind this. We're, we're on the railing behind us. We're holding on, because it's a huge, it's like a tidal wave of, of water. And, and so we're standing there, and the water comes, and I turn my head like this, and the water hits us, and afterwards we're jumping up and down, we're all excited, and I'm jumping up and down, and then I'm wiping the water off my face, and I realize my glasses aren't on my face. And I'm like, oh, she, and I can't see anything. I thought it was blurry because of the water, but now it's just blurry because I don't have my glasses. And guess where they were? They're like in the water somewhere. And so this was the first ride. So the rest of the day, for like 12 hours, <laughs> to like 11 p.m. at night, because we had to go back and get my glasses after the ride closed. So the rest of the day, I can't see anything. I, it, it was, I was getting headaches. It was actually, it was still fun, but it was still, it was pretty bad. Um, and I think I had fun that day. Um, and so afterwards, we go back to the ride, and they'd shut down the ride, the park was closing down, and this guy is wading through trying to find my glasses. Well, he pulls out like eight or nine pairs of glasses <laughs> before they find mine. It's crazy. So then he, he uses my glasses, and I'm like so excited because I'm thinking my parents are going to kill me. I lost my glasses, right? So uh, find my glasses, I put them on. Problem is they'd been in the water all day. And they've been swishing around. They've been going around every time that, that thing came down. And so my lenses were all scratched up. So I could see, but my vision was completely distorted through 
the scratches on my lenses. I can only see through what my lenses had just been through. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, it's like we've been given glasses. Most people in our city have a distorted view of the world because most people in our city aren't followers of Jesus. And, and it's, like, it's like before you come to Christ, it's like you are operating without a pair of glasses. It's like you have poor vision. It's like you have my, my vision. But when you come to Jesus, he actually gives you lenses. He gives you glasses. And now you can see, you have the ability at least, to see, to see things how God sees them. You have the ability to see things through God's eyes. The problem for most of you, though, even though you might be a follower of Jesus, is that your lenses are all scratched up. You're scarred. You're hurt. You're in pain. And unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of the scars and scratches on our lenses are a result of what people have done to us. It wasn't really anything you did. It was what somebody did to you. Maybe you were bullied growing up. Maybe you were made fun of growing up, and that's a scratch on, on your lens. Maybe you were sexually abused growing up, and that's a scratch on your lens. Maybe your, your father left uh, when you were growing up, and, or your parents got divorced, and those are scratches on your lenses. Maybe um, you never got approval from your teachers, and they spoke harsh words to you growing up. Maybe uh, your boss passed you up for the promotion because he approved of this person over you. And that's another scratch on your lens. Maybe your significant other always criticizes you. So that's scratches on your, on your lenses constantly. Maybe, I mean, we can go on and on. Maybe your, somebody died uh, that was close to you growing up and you've just never gotten over that and that's a scratch that you see life through. And, and a lot of us, when we're going through life, we have these glasses on we have the ability to see things how God sees them, but now we have glasses that are all scratched up. And we're seeing life through these lenses. The problem is, what that does is it distorts our vision. It distorts truth. And we begin to see lies instead of truth. And Jesus has come to, to wipe away lies. He's come to help you see through truth. And, and for many of us, we're still choosing to see through our scratches. And, it's, and a lot of you guys just need healing. You need to release those things to Christ, and you need God to heal you from those scars and that pain and those scratches. And this morning, as we go into this passage, I want us to recognize that as we talk about loving our enemies, many times it's hard for us to do that because of those scratches and those scars and the pain and the hurt of what somebody else has done to us. And when we get to this passage where it says, love your enemies, and we have something like what happened here in our city this past week happen, we say, how can we do that? Like, that's impossible. Like, I, can't, I can't even imagine doing that. My first response isn't to love, it's to hate, it's to retaliate. You guys may be saying all those things, and Jesus is saying, no, as a kingdom citizen, as a child of God, your first response is not to hate, is not to retaliate, but it's to love. So we're going to talk about what that looks like today. This is the bottom line that we'll take throughout the entire sermon. Since you are perfected in Christ, because that's what we're talking about today, you are perfected. You have actually been given 20-20 vision. 
you've actually been given perfect lenses to see life through, okay? So since you're perfected in Christ, you have the ability to see through sacred lenses instead of scarred lenses, okay? So we'll take that throughout the entire passage here. So let's start in verse 43. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Wait, that seems, that seems pretty crazy. So there's, there's a, six of these statements that Jesus, that Jesus says that you've heard it was said, et cetera, et cetera. And the first five of them have some semblance of biblical truth. The first five of them are actually rooted in, in the Bible. You have... You have, uh, let's see, you've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, etc. This one, though, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's nowhere in the Bible. This is a complete distortion of the truth. Now, you shall love your neighbor is there, but, and hate your enemy is not there. Like, those, those uh, words never occur together in the biblical text, in the Old Testament. And, and so what we have here is the Pharisees, who I mentioned earlier, the religious rites, they have completely distorted the truth. And if you look at Israel's history throughout the Old Testament, what is it a history of? It's a history of oppression. It's a history of hurt. It's a history of pain. It's a history of people bullying them. It's a history of people pushing them around. It's a history of people taking things from them. It's a history of them trying to fight just to survive. And so now you have the Pharisees seeing through scarred lenses. And they're affecting the entire people through this because they're saying, hey, guys, it's just us for ourselves here. Yeah, love your neighbor. Love the person who's like you. But everyone else who's not like us, we're supposed to hate them. And you see here, it's not just like, the Pharisees aren't just saying, hey, avoid them, avoid your enemy. They're not just saying, hey, tolerate your enemy. They're saying, no, you're actually supposed to hate your enemy. Like, that's a powerful statement. And Jesus says, hey, guys, you've heard them saying this, that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And then he's going to say something else, but I say to you something else. But like I said, this is never, this is nowhere in the Old Testament. You may think, oh, well, it's kind of curious that you're going to the Old Testament to make a case here because you, and whether you're a Christian or, or follow Jesus or not, you may be saying, well, when I hear about the Old Testament, when I read the Old Testament, all I see is an angry, vicious God. All I see is a God of wrath. All I see is a God who punishes. And that's, that's, what, that's exactly what the Pharisees are doing here, uh, for one. But two, um, so you're half, not even half, you're somewhat right. It's, it's a distorted truth if you're saying that. That's a distorted truth because God, what do we know about God? We know that he's, a, he's love. We know that he's good. We know that he's just. We know that he's holy. We know that he's merciful. We know that he's faithful. We can go on and on, again, on, and on about God's characteristics and his beneficent characteristics. Um, but a lot of people, when they see the Old Testament, they see it through a lens of wrath and, and, and not justice. And whenever you see these instances in the scriptures, well, two things. One, in the Old Testament, not every, or in the Bible in general, but we're talking about the Old Testament specifically. One, not everything is prescriptive, meaning 
not everything in the Bible is saying this is how we should do things. A lot of the Old Testament is descriptive. It's saying this is what happened. So you see a lot of those things in, in the Old Testament because that God is showing us how sinful we are as people. He's revealing that to us. Now you may say, okay, well, what about when God commands specific things? Because there are a few instances where God commands specific injunctions against people. And you're like, how, how do we deal with that? Well, a couple things. One, God, there is salvation history happening in the Old Testament. The, the entire point of the, the scriptures is to get us to the Messiah. It is get us to Jesus, is to get us to the Savior, is to get us to someone who's going to rescue us from this sin that we see in the scriptures. Because we can't do it on our own. And, and so the whole Old Testament is pointing towards that salvation history. And, and whenever you see these injunctions that, yes, God does actually give, it's against people who have completely rejected him. It's against people who've turned their backs on him, who's, who he's given time to come to him, but he has, they've turned their backs completely on him, they've rejected him. He's still showing grace and love like he does, uh, but, uh, but also what ends up happening is these people end up leading so many other people down the path of destruction. And if God's point is to get us to the path of life and love and Jesus and the Messiah and the Savior, and you have all these peoples taking the people away and, and destroying more people, that shows God's love and justice more than it does show God's anger and wrath. Does that make sense? You guys following me here? So God has a bigger picture in mind, and he's trying to rescue the world, guys. He's trying to rescue the world. And in order to do that, sometimes holiness and justice has to happen in order for his love uh, to, to overcome. And that's what's happening throughout the, the Old Testament. But the Pharisees, they did what we often do. They missed it. They totally missed it. And they, and they said, well, we see God doing this, so now we are judge, jury, and executioner, and we're going to make us, uh, we're going to take care of ourselves and say we hate our enemy. When that was never what God was doing. All you see God doing in the Old Testament, the, the predominant overarching uh, theme is God's love, is God chasing after people and bringing people in. And, and you may say, well, uh, that's, you may still say, well, I don't know about that. That still doesn't really do it for me. Um, I don't like a God who is like this. I, I want a God who's like this. And if you're doing that, you're doing exactly what the Pharisees are doing. You're, you're, they, they put themselves in God's place, and you're trying to make God fit your own mold, and that's exactly what's happening. They thought they're trying to fit God into their own mold, and they made this entire religion out of it. And Jesus is coming, and he says, but I say to you something else. That was never what it was supposed to be. So in verse 44, he says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who, who persecute you. That's such a striking statement. That, that is, you don't, you don't see anything like that anywhere else. To, to love your enemies and then to pray for those who persecute you. That's, uh, if, if they heard that, they'd be like, Jesus, you're crazy. Why, why would we ever do that? We've just been oppressed so much. And you might say, why, why would I do that? I've been hurt so much in my life. P 
People have done this to me, people have done this to me, people have done this to me, and all I can do whenever someone speaks ill against me, whenever someone says something bad about this or that, all I can do is react through my scarred lens. And I can't control it, you might say. Like, there's nothing I can do except react and retaliate or, or wish evil against them. And that's the point. Jesus is trying to show us that in ourselves, we can't do this. We cannot love our enemies. We, we, there's nothing in us as sinful human beings that is going to make us do this. We can't read this and say, yeah, Jesus, that's a great idea. I'm going to go love my enemies. It's only being perfected in Christ Jesus that we can actually start to do this. And he says in verse 45, it's so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. It's a relationship. Jesus is taking the Pharisee's statement out of the religious context, and he's putting it in relationship. And he says, because you are children, not of God, he didn't say of God, although he's talking about God, but of the Father, that's how you can live like this. So how do we do this? How does Jesus say we should, we should do this? Three things in the, in the succeeding verses. One, we need to give grace indiscriminately. Matthew 5.45 says, the next verse, it says, For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God does not discriminate. There's this, God has this thing called common grace where he... he bestows blessings on everybody, regardless of whether you are good or evil, just, unjust, a follower of Jesus or not, whether you've accepted or rejected. He, he, and he says two things here, two good things, sun and rain, rain to, to water things. So think about this. Like, wouldn't it be crazy if like, we're walking around our city and for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're the only ones who got the sun but then everyone else who's not a follower of Jesus just had like a dark thundercloud over their head, like in the cartoons. I, God doesn't do that, right? He gives a sun to everybody. He doesn't do that with rain. He, he, he says everybody's crops are going to grow. Like he's not, in, he's not discriminant with how he gives out grace. And so for us, if we're going to love our enemies, if we're going to pray for those who persecute us, we can't be stingy with grace, and we can't pick and choose who receives grace and who doesn't. So in this incident that happened, our first reaction, and a lot of you guys may still be here where you say, man, I hope that guy gets what he deserves. I hope he, you know, fill in the blank, whatever. Jesus has called us to something more than that. He's called us to something better than that. He's called us to not, to not dwell in our sinfulness and in our filth, and in our, in our rot, because an attitude like that is going to rot your soul. He calls us to something else, and he says, no, you're supposed to give them grace like you would give your mom grace, like you would give your spouse grace, like you would give, fill in the blank, that important person in your life grace. You should not discriminate because God doesn't. And now you have entered into an eternally existing relationship in Christ Jesus the Son, with God the Father, through God the Holy Spirit, in order to live like this. But, like I said, a lot of us, we think we can pick and choose. 
That makes you God. And Jesus says, follow the example of my Father. He just gives grace indiscriminately. Number two, lavish love unexpectedly. For if you love those who love you, Jesus says, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? The tax collectors, that was kind of a group of people that cheated and stole from their own people. So they would, yeah, they would collect taxes, but they would say, oh, well, you actually owe way more than this. And that difference, they would pocket it. And they would do that from their own family, their own people, their own relatives. And so that's, that's the group that he's talking about. He says, don't even the tax collectors love those who love them? We're supposed to love in a different way unexpectedly. We're supposed to lavish this love. And, and we also tend to just love those who love us. And we tend to love those who are like us. One of you, because he, here's the thing. Jesus is saying, love your enemies, love your enemies. What about the people you don't like? There's some people you just don't like, Right? You don't have to acknowledge that. I know it's true. I know it's true. I see those smirks on your faces. Uh, there's just some people you don't like. And who knows what that is? Personality. There's just some people you just don't get along with. I don't know what it is. I don't know what your problem is. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and Well, maybe it's your problem. And, and uh, Jesus, and I could let you off the hook and say, oh, well, you don't have to like them. You just have to love them. Because, and there's some truth to that, because love is, is uh, we think of our culture, things about love as an emotion, but the Bible talks about love as a choice and an action. So you, you choose to love, and um, like for instance, Missy, she knows my love through my actions. God knows our love by our obedience and our actions. Like it's, it's not this warm, fuzzy feeling that we get, although there's, there's some emotion involved. But if it's just that, well, that's not, no one would say that's, that's real love. No one, say, no one would say that's true love. We have to actually see it in action. So we could say that. We could say, well, you don't have to like them, but you do need to choose to love them. But let me ask you a question. If you're asking, well, what about those people I don't like? Here's a question to that question. Do you think, there's, do you think there was anybody that Jesus didn't like? Do you think Jesus was in this world and he had his 12 disciples and he's like, hey, I love all you guys, but Nathaniel, I don't really like you. Like, just don't talk to me. <laughs> like, just keep your distance. Like, I want to hang out with these guys. You kind of stay over there and you do your thing, I'll do my thing. Um, and we can still be in the same church group. We can still kind of live life together, but I don't really want to talk to you that much. Uh, do you think Jesus was like that? I can't see Jesus being like that. So maybe the problem is you. <laughs> maybe, uh, I think if we just go with what, if we just go with what we like, we're just, we're just, it's a very, very low bar, okay? And we need to overcome whatever that is that's, that's causing us to have friction and issues with other people. So he says, Love in a different way. Love unexpectedly, when someone doesn't expect it. When someone has done you wrong, love them. And you'll see a, you'll see a different reaction. Number, number three, hand out hospitality abundantly. He says, if, 
if, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. And this is, this is a similar principle. We tend to welcome those that, that we like to hang around with, right? We tend to only bring those, those in that we like to be around. And he's saying, no, you need to greet all people no matter what. You need to be hospitable, hospitable, you need to be welcoming, you need to bring other people in, even your enemies. And what is Jesus known for by the religious people? He's known for dining with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, these, these groups of people that were considered the most sinful of that day. And the Pharisees always berated him for it. They're like, why do you hang out with these people? Are you one of them? And, and Jesus is showing us his principle that that if we can hand out hospitality abundantly, we will actually show them love, we'll show them grace, we'll show them who I am. And he's trying to show the world who he is by doing that. So you may, you know, the, the interesting thing about these three things is that our city, our, our culture, wouldn't necessarily disagree with these things. You know, our city isn't going around, most people in our city wouldn't go around and say, uh, Love, just love those who love you and, and hate your enemies. Most people in our city wouldn't say, oh, well, you are supposed to be discriminant with how you love other people. Uh, most people in our city wouldn't say, you're, su- you're supposed to uh, ignore people and, and exclude them from the rest. But the differences, and, and, and here's the thing, even though most people in our city wouldn't say that, most people in our city act like that live like that. And that includes us. And we can say those things are good. We can say we believe in those things. But if we're not living those things out, if we're not actually showing grace and love and mercy and hospitality to those who are not like us, to those who are opposite from us, to those we don't like, to those who, who persecute us, then we're just like the rest. And Jesus is trying to build something into us, this kingdom character, so that we can show the world that there's something different about us. And it's Jesus. And he says this last statement in verse 48. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And if we thought all this other stuff was impossible, now when we get to this verse, we're like, well, this is completely impossible. How can we be perfect like God is perfect? And this is a command. He says, we must do this. We must be perfect like our heavenly father is perfect. Here's a, here's a quote from a guy that will help us understand how to do this. His name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a Welsh Protestant minister and doctor in the UK, Westminster Chapel in London for about 30 years in the early 1900s, early to mid-1900s. He says, the whole secret to living this kind of life is that man should be utterly detached. He must be detached from others in the sense that his behavior is not governed by what they do. But still, more important, he should be detached from himself. For until a man is detached from himself, he will never be detached from what others do to that self. And that's so key. We talked about last week dying to ourselves. And when someone does something against you, the main reason you're, you want to retaliate or you react the way you do is, is because something in you, 
It's because they've hurt you. It's because of your pride. It's because of, uh, and, and don't get me wrong, it's totally an injustice. That's, that, we're not arguing whether that was an, an injustice or not, whether they did wrong against you or not. We're talking about you have the power now to react in a different way. You have the power now to, to see things not through scarred lenses, but to see things through sacred lenses. You have the power now to give love unexpectedly, to give grace, to be hospitable. And, and what ends up happening is violence begets violence, insult begets insult, and we're just in this vicious cycle of, of evil. And Jesus is trying to show us that we have actually been perfected in him and we have been set apart from that cycle. And now we're outside of it. And that changes what we do. That changes how we, how we are. That changes how we reach our world. That changes how we live in our city. That changes how we react to something that happened like on Monday. And that changes our prayer life. That changes, our, that changes your marriage. That changes... Uh, how you raise your kids, that changes how you do your studies in school, that changes everything about you because now you're seeing through a different lens. The problem is, even though you have the ability to see through a sacred lens, so many of you are choosing to keep your scarred lenses. You know, when I went home with my glasses all scratched up, I didn't just say to my parents, ah, it's okay, you don't have to buy me new ones. I'll get used to seeing the world this way. But that's what many of us do. We carry around our baggage, we carry around our scars, we carry around our hurts, we carry around our struggles, we carry around uh, all those things, and we haven't given them to the Lord. And that's also, and this, this is going to sound a little... This may sound a little crazy because it may sound a little backwards, but that's because of our pride. It's, it kind of all goes back down to ourselves. And what this quote is saying is we need to fully detach ourselves from ourselves. Paul would say you need to die to yourself. You don't need to hold on to that stuff anymore. It does not define you. And the more you look through scarred lenses, the less you will discover your identity in Christ and your destiny in Christ. If anyone in this world has the right to look through scarred lenses, it was Jesus. Growing up, constantly rejected. A life of humiliation, a life of servitude, a life of uh, rejection by those closest to him. When, when he finally finds a group of friends that he lives life with for three years, they're constantly um, doubting him. They're constantly saying, Jesus, I don't think that's right. They're constantly saying the opposite or doing the opposite of what he says. And, and then when he gets arrested as an innocent person and in all his purity and all his holiness and all his sacredness, all his friends leave him. They just scatter like, they're, they're gone. They deny his very, they deny even knowing him. And, and then he's punched in the face. He's, he's kicked, he's spit on, he's beat, he's tortured, he's mocked, he's made fun of, he's bullied, he's, he's uh, stripped naked and humiliated before everybody. He's got to carry his cross up this mountain while everyone throws stuff at him and makes fun of him and all this stuff. 
He has this public execution where his hands and feet are nailed to a cross, where a crown of thorns is pushed into his skull, and he's bleeding and he can't breathe and all these things. And you know what he says right at the very end? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He lives this very principle out, and he says, I'm going to show love unexpectedly. I'm going to show grace indiscriminately. I'm going to welcome everybody to this cross. And I'm going to show them that a kingdom citizen is something different. And, and we have the ability to say yes to Jesus and no to our hurt and our pain and our suffering. And you're still holding on to it. Give it to Jesus this morning. Choose life this morning. Choose to, to put on new lenses this morning because you have that ability in Christ Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, that is what is offered to you. That Jesus took away all those things, that you don't have to live with those things anymore, that you can actually live in freedom, you can actually live blessed, you can actually live perfected, you can actually live all these things that we've been talking about, reconciled uh, and rescued. And, and if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, this isn't just for you. This isn't just for you to do for yourself. This is for you to do so that you can live for Jesus and show other people this, this truth and this reality and the beauty of the gospel through your life. So this morning as you approach the Lord's table, as you recognize that his body was broken for you, as you recognize that his blood was shed for you, and as you take and, and eat of this, know that this is to release you of those hurts and pains. Look at this this morning as you take communion as a first step in healing for you because so many of us have been hurt by other people and Jesus wants to heal you this morning. So um, give that to Jesus before you take communion. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is healing. Thank you that you do want to heal us. Thank you that you are a good God who loves us, who rescues us, who redeems us, who sets us free. And Father, show us how to love like you love, how to see like you see, how to just be Jesus. So make us more like you this morning through the power of your spirit and heal us as we come to the table this morning and take communion. We ask in your name, amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.